you've been rerouted. I'm your host, teacher, writer, and self-titled travel junkie, Emily. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and this podcast is for the wander woman in all of us. I'm here to explore all things travel and adventure through the female lens, shedding light on issues, sharing tips, and of course, storytelling along the way. Whether you're a nomad or a noob, I hope this show is a source of inspiration, giving you the tools you need to help you start your next journey, whatever that may be, confidently. And hey, in case no one's told you lately, you are brave, you are beautifully made, and you deserve the world. It is quite simple. When it comes to anything in life, relationships, friendships, the work you do, the art you make, when it comes to anything, if it does not create an avalanche within your chest, if it does not move you and inspire you, if it does not come from the deepest part of who you are, it is not for you. It is not for you. Bianca Sparacino. are back to our regular Wednesday show. Moving forward, I will be posting new episodes every other week. England was amazing. I am still processing everything and attempting to re-enter quote-unquote normal life, which is a great deal different. I will say that post-travel blues are definitely a real thing. I miss my little garden, my morning tea routine, waking up each day to a new adventure, and for the most part, while this might sound incredibly selfish, only worrying about myself. For an introvert like me, being alone was so nice. Of course, no one can vacation forever, so the best way I have learned to combat these post-travel blues is to plan the next trip. Right now, I am working on planning two open invite trips for interested female travelers, a domestic trip in April 2023 and an international trip in June 2023. So please reach out if this sounds like something you're even partway interested in. There is no need to commit yet, but once I know how many people are interested, I can start to nail down a place and give people a better idea of cost. And if there is anywhere you would really like to go, let me know that too. And I may be able to plan a trip in the future around what you're looking to do and where you're interested in going. If you've ever thought about rerouting your life, now is your chance. Now, let's talk about today's episode. I'm going to talk about the beautiful city of Nottingham, its snotting history, and what to do and see while you're there. Hint, don't listen to TikTok. I'll also be sharing an interesting conversation I had with one of Nottingham's most famous residents, Robin Hood. Over the course of 700 years, the outlaw from Nottingham who robs from the rich and gives to the poor has emerged as one of the most enduring folk heroes and one of the most versatile. But how has the legend evolved over time? And did a real Robin Hood inspire these classic tales? You'll find out in today's episode, and it starts right now. Okay, I can't talk about Robin Hood without first beginning with a deep dive into Nottingham, or as I lovingly refer to it as Nottingham. On entering England, I completely bypassed London and went straight for Milford, so Nottingham was the first actual city I visited during my trip, and it took place at about the halfway point of my stay. For the first two weeks, I was rather committed to exploring the Peak District independently, 
solo hiking and writing, none of which requires a great deal of out-of-pocket expenses. One day I realized I hadn't spent any money other than the grocery store items and my bus pass and talked to hardly another soul. And while that was working out for me, I liked saving money and being alone. I also felt like I was missing out on the extensive knowledge to be gained from tours and guides. I thought it'd be a shame to visit here, walk all over it, having never learned its history. So I decided to venture outside of the Peak District, finally, and book my first tour. I settled on Nottingham because of convenience. There was a bus that left Derby every 10 minutes and ran 24 hours a day. And then, being an English teacher and a writer, I was very interested in the story of Robin Hood, which of course takes place in Nottingham and the surrounding Sherwood Forest. However, upon researching Nottingham, I was kind of puzzled because there really isn't anything cultural having to do with this famous story in the city. There are streets named after the characters, there is a castle, which is now a university, but that's about it. This was puzzling to me because normally a city would totally take advantage of something like the story of Robin Hood and capitalize on it for the sake of tourism. There would be a double-decker bus ride of the storied sites, shows in the square, maybe a Little John-themed archery range, but there was nothing. Upon researching more about Nottingham, I found that it was actually quite famous for something else entirely. Stag and Hindus, the UK version of Bachelor and Bachelorette parties. And boy, were they right. I probably saw about 50 stag and Hindu parties in the 12 hours I spent in Nottingham. One even invited me along for a little while. I did happen to stumble upon one kind of obscure attraction, a walking tour led by a man dressed as Robin Hood. It looked kind of gimmicky, but I booked it not really seeing any other option. 15 minutes later, I was scrolling TikTok for other hashtag things to do in Nottingham, and almost every single one ended with, turn around and go home. Several people commented that it was a shit city, so I started to get discouraged from going. Honestly, I thought it'd be a waste of time, and I almost didn't go. But of course I did. I arrived around 11 o'clock for the noon Robin Hood tour, had a G&T, and met a few of the people I'd be going on tour with, including Americans. It was the first time in a long while that I had heard an American accent, which was really weird, as well as a number of people from other parts of the world. The one thing that I found that connected us all, believe it or not, Stranger Things. Stranger Things became my icebreaker because season four, part two had recently been released and it seemed like everyone was obsessed with talking about the major highlights of the season. Of course, I also met Robin Hood, who was much more gray in the hair than he was in the photo online. It was a very hot day, probably in the 80s, and he was already sweating profusely. He seemed out of sorts, almost like he woke up late, stumbled out of bed, and realized he had a gig to get to. So my first impression was not very promising, but I thought, hey, it's a walking tour. I could easily walk off if I needed to. We followed him from the Cross Keys to the Nottingham Contemporary, and as you might have guessed, it's a contemporary building where we began the tour by asking us if we believed in the legend of Robin Hood. About 90% of people raised their hands, including me. How could a story exist as long as Robin Hood and not be real? At the very least, it had to be based on a real person, right? Well, as the day unfolded and we migrated from different architectural places around Nottingham, 
we learn the history of the city from its humble beginnings as the settlement of, get this, Snottingham. That's right, Snottingham, named for the man whose last name was Snot, who owned the land. Very unfortunate name. Being located on the River Trent, the town grew steadily until it was conquered by the Danes in the 9th century, only to be recaptured by an English king in the 10th, followed by a Norman king, William the Conqueror, who in 1067 fortified the city and built the first wooden castle atop a hill. 200 years later, that castle was relocated to a higher hill and rebuilt using stone. At some point, I believe it was after the Norman conquest, but I can't be sure, the S on Snottingham was dropped because the S was difficult for the Normans to pronounce. And there you have it, the city we know as Nottingham. But where does Robin Hood come into play? The first literary references to Robin Hood appear in a series of 14th and 15th century ballads about a violent man who lived in Sherwood Forest with his men and frequently clashed with the sheriff in Nottingham. Rather than a peasant, knight, or fallen noble, as in later versions, the protagonist of these medieval stories is a commoner. During the era of the Middle Ages, the entire Sherwood Forest, including the game that resided within the forest, was property of the king, and hunting was strictly prohibited by anyone other than the king's men. You can imagine this would make him fairly unlikable by the hungry commoners. And so a hero was born on the lips of singers across Nottinghamshire. They sing of a man who roguishly defied the king and took what was denied to the common people. It was a song of hope, of standing up for what was right, and sticking it to the powers that be. Little John and Will Scarlet were also part of these original stories, but Maid Marian, Friar Tuck, and Alan Adale would not enter the legend until later, much later likely as part of the May Day celebrations. For a century, historians have tried to unearth one very simple question. Was there a real hero who inspired these songs? And this has turned out to be a nearly impossible quest. Sure, they can search official documents for someone who had run-ins with the law during that 100-year period. But who to search for? Robin? Robert? Do you spell the name R-O-B-I-N? Or was there a different spelling back then? Is hood spelled H-O-O-D, H-U-D-E? Remember, these were originally saying, so the names weren't necessarily written down. By the year 1300, at least eight people were called Robin Hood, and at least five of which were fugitives from the law. It also appears that several different outlaws built upon the reputation of a fugitive in the forest, and over time, the name Robin Hood became a common epithet for criminals. Some of these criminals used to disguise themselves in habits, those big uh, monk robes uh, that have hoods on them. So it's also a possibility that Robin Hood wasn't an actual person, but a robber in a hood. So was Robin Hood a person? Was he many people? Or was he simply an idea? Throughout Robin's existence, Writers, performers, and filmmakers have probed their imaginations for new incarnations that resonate with their respective audiences. In 14th century England, where agrarian discontent had begun to chip away at the feudal system, Robin Hood appears as an anti-establishment rebel who murders government agents and wealthy landowners. Later variations cast Robin as a dispossessed aristocrat, with a heart of gold and a love interest made Marian. This version of Robin Hood was actually created by aristocrats who tried to make him into one of their own. 
As time went on, other characters were added to the story. It wasn't until John Major's History of Great Britain, written in 1521, for example, is Robin Hood depicted as a follower of King Richard, which is now one of the defining characteristics of him. Friar Tuck was added later, as well as Maid Marian, when during the Romantic era of literature, writers thought he needed a love interest. There was another story of a character named Robin and a character Marian from France, and they just basically stole the name. So this story keeps evolving the more it's told, adapting to suit the audience at the time, changing in order to survive. And while yeah, I was disappointed to learn that a real life Robin Hood may have never existed, the idea that a story can grow like that and survive that long from song to paper to film to me is far more interesting. It makes me wonder, what is it about this story in particular that people cling to? My best guess is that it's not the story itself, but what the character Robin Hood stands for. He represents the rebel in all of us, the little guy fighting the establishment. And that theme is as old as time itself and continues today. And when times are tough, that's the story people want. They want to feel like they can take their life into their own hands. After the tour, I sat down with Robin Hood at Ye Old Jerusalem, a heavily disputed oldest pub in the UK. Apparently, it's where Richard the Lionheart stopped on his way to Jerusalem. We started talking about his tour and why he started it. Turns out he, a historian by profession, was as equally disappointed by Nottingham's lack of culture as I was and decided to do something about it. I told him that was very Robin Hood of him. I then asked if he ever had dreams of being Robin Hood, like how people who learn Spanish often dream in Spanish. His response, but I am Robin Hood. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to share with you a bit more of that conversation, as well as a few local tips for visiting Nottingham. Stay tuned. So, I don't normally waltz up and start conversations with tour guides. I wish I was that person, but truly, I am not. What really got me in this conversation with Robin Hood was, in fact, a stag do. Turns out they really are everywhere in Nottingham, including the Robin Hood tour. And when we ended the tour at Ye Old Jerusalem, The Bachelor, upon finding out I was American, offered to buy me a beer. For the record, he was buying everyone a beer, including Robin Hood, and it seemed innocent enough. He told me about his soon-to-be wife, their kids, and their upcoming wedding. And then I had a good chat with the father of the groom, a proper geezer in a bucket hat, about American and UK politics. Boris Johnson... Biden, the Supreme Court's recent stance on abortion, etc. It amazed me how much U.S. news they knew. Admittedly, I knew next to nothing about their news, and this was everywhere I went in the U.K. I'd be sitting in a random pub and overhear a group of 20-somethings discussing something about Biden or the United States. And in the beginning, that really bothered me. Maybe bothered isn't the right word. It really embarrassed me. It made me feel like I would be judged. In truth, there is a lot to be embarrassed about, but remarkably, it was the opposite. Everyone who found out I was American just wanted to talk to me, and sure, there were some jabs here and there, but everyone also seemed to recognize that the UK wasn't any better, and they certainly wouldn't judge me for the faults of my incompetent leaders if I promised not to judge them. They would confess they had their own mountain of political shit, and we'd sympathize with one another, being both commoners of our respective nations. 
I couldn't help but think how ironic it was that I was having this conversation following the Robin Hood tour, which had just emphasized the importance of banding together and sticking it to the man. Where was Robin Hood when you needed him? Turns out he was right behind me. Of course, all the guys in the bachelor party wanted the opportunity to blow Robin Hood's horn. And so Robin Hood made his way over to where we were sitting and let them have a go at it. All of them tried, all of them failed miserably. While the boys were busy blowing, I thanked Robin Hood for an excellent tour, told him how I also noticed a lack of culture in Nottingham and appreciated what he was providing the public. I could tell he was a man who liked to hear himself talk and for the next 10 or so minutes, he regaled me with his background as a historian while I proceeded to ask him ridiculous questions like whether or not he dreamed as Robin Hood and if in all of his studies of the Robin Hood adaptations, he had ever come across one in which Robin Hood was female. He stumbled at that question, like it was the first time he'd ever considered the possibility. No, I can't say that I have, he said as he took a long swig of his ale, eyeing me suspiciously. Robin is a gender-neutral name, I pointed out. I supremely enjoyed watching his facial expressions flinch as his schema started to change, and while I didn't say it aloud, I had this profound feeling in my gut that whether or not Robin Hood was female in the past, it was time for a female Robin Hood to emerge in the present. At one point, I looked around and realized the bachelor party had left. On to the next bar, I suppose, leaving me sitting across from Robin Hood, who was now on his second or third ale. Exhausted with questions about him, he asked me a question I had actually gotten a lot since arriving in the Peak District. Why are you here? I think Brits were genuinely curious as to why I would come to this part of the country over other more popular destinations. And I told him, I like that it's not touristy. I'm here to unwind and hike and write a book. At this, his ears perked up. You're a writer, he asked. I mean, I write, I said, so I guess so. It's really just for me. I don't get paid to do it or anything. I'm not a professional. But you'd like that to be a goal, he asked matter-of-factly. Once you finish, you'd see about getting it published? I mean, yeah, I said. I guess that's the ultimate goal for any writer, to see their book on a shelf in a bookstore. Do you have a unique idea, he asked me. I think so, I said, but... Is there such a thing as a unique idea anymore? Didn't you just point out that every story is basically recycled? He took another swig of amber liquid from his cup. I'm not a writer, he said finally. I've written some articles and the like, but fiction is not something I'm really familiar with. But I figure if your idea is unique enough, that's all you need. Yeah, but don't you need talent too? How do I know if I have any of that? I really don't know why I was speaking these fears aloud. At this, he paused for a moment, looking into his beer, not drinking it. Then he set his glass down, reached into his canvas satchel, and produced a business card. On one side, in black embossed lettering, it said Robin Hood, official outlaw. And on the other side, it said Ezekiel Bones. He then launched into a description of a place just south of Darby called Cock Abbey. It's a really weird place, he said. Like stepping back in time. You see, it belonged to the Harper family for about 400 years. They were a real eccentric family and collected all sorts of strange things, taxidermy animals, seashells, and other hidden treasures. But as the family's wealth started to decline, 
the home could not be managed as it once was, and so as members of the family died, parts of the home started to be boarded up. The nursery, the guest rooms, the servants' quarters, until eventually there was one surviving family member living in a small section of this grand home. Now, in the UK, we have this thing called the National Trust, who take over old historic buildings such as Cock Abbey and fix them up for tourists to visit. When the last surviving member of the Harper family sold the estate to the National Trust, they actually decided not to fix it up at all. Instead, already in so much disrepair, they decided to let Cock Abbey tell the story of the dramatic decline of a country house estate. The paintwork is faded and peeling, vast collections of personal belongings are just left as they're found. It's all a bit eerie. It sounded like exactly the kind of place I'd like to visit, but I couldn't quite figure out why he was sharing this with me. He continued on. When the National Trust was ready to allow tourists, they asked me to come in and create a character for them to give tours. Do you know about the skeleton staff at all? I shook my head no. Big homes such as Cock Abbey require many people to run it. You've got gardeners, stable hands, housemaids, laundry maids, cooks. In its prime, Cock Abbey probably had as many as 30 staff on site. However, during World War II, when young men were needed in the military, homes such as this had to dispense with many of their male staff members, and as a result, they had to operate under what was called the skeleton staff, the minimum number of people needed to run a home. At this point, I thought, okay, I have officially lost Robin Hood. He is in his cups, as they say. So I'll just find a polite way of vacating this conversation and be on my way. He pointed at the business card in my hand. So I created this character of Ezekiel Bones, the last of the skeleton staff. He held my gaze for a long moment until I started to feel a bit uncomfortable. Then without slurring a single word, he said, I believed myself into being. It's not quite writing, but I created Ezekiel from nothing. And if I can believe myself into being, then you can believe your book into being. Now it was my turn to flinch as my schema changed because what he was saying wasn't the same as believe in yourself. That, of course, I'd heard enough that it had become a cliche. The idea of this was the idea of believing in a story, in a character, enough that it becomes real. That is the essence of what every author hopes to accomplish, to make a story real enough that it comes alive in the hearts and minds of readers. And if I don't believe in my character or my book, then I might as well stop now. I thought of the Robin Hood legend and how long it had survived on belief alone. How people still believe he's a real person. How the power of story literally has the ability to turn a fictional person into being. I'm sure you have some talent, he said finally, getting around to answering my original question. Writing's not easy, so if you do it at all, you must have some talent. You must have been told at some point that you're good or you wouldn't be here. But plenty of people with talent never get anywhere. That's not what matters. What matters is that you believe in your story and you have something unique to offer. We cheers to that and I finished my beer. Robin Hood slash Ezekiel Bones offered to buy me another, but I said I had to be on my way. In truth, I just wanted some time to process and walk alone. Aside from being a historian, he also looked like a man who knew where to get a drink, so I asked him for a recommendation, and he pointed me towards a secret, hidden cave bar in the Bohemian neighborhood of Nottingham. 
The Bohemian neighborhood is amazing. There were so many cool, trendy-looking bars, and on a Saturday night, every single one was packed and lively. It took me three times walking around this popular block before I finally saw the narrow alleyway Robin Hood had described to me. It was so hidden that your eyes could easily glaze right over it. But in the distance, at the far end of the dark alley, my eyes caught something orange and glowing. It was a tiny portrait of the Mona Lisa. Two men in burgundy suits stood in front of the alleyway, and I asked them if I could pass through. I think that's a very good idea, one of them said. From there, I walked down the alley, past the Mona Lisa, down a second alley, into a bar. It didn't look like a cave, so I asked the bartender discreetly if this was the only bar here. He said, take the stairs. There were two more levels, but that I couldn't take my beer into the third level. So I ventured down into the basement, which reminded me of a blacklight party my roommates and I threw once in college, and I finished my beer there. Once finished, I cautiously descended a darker and more narrow set of stairs into the basement of the basement, where a man in a suit sat at a desk. He then walked me through a set of corridors with fairy lights and down another set of stairs until we reached the cave. And to my surprise and joy, it was a gin bar. The moody glow of the purple lights and the small cave ceiling created such a cool, intimate ambiance that in that moment, I really wished I wasn't alone. And that's kind of the crux of traveling solo. It is so good to be alone, to have space, to think, and to be independent. But there is no replacement for sharing an experience with someone else. That night, I returned to my Airbnb in Milford, thinking about my day out in Nottingham, which had been nothing like TikTok had set it out to be. While Nottingham is certainly not a mecca for art and culture, it's a brilliant place with kind people and great nightlife, and I was so glad I got to see it myself. I was already mentally planning my trip to Kagabi the next day, a place I never would have heard about if it weren't for my discussion with Robin Hood. I thought about what he told me about belief and how many things that could apply to. He applied it to writing, but it really is about anything you create. If you believe in something hard enough, you can and will believe it into being. So many times I have been plagued by self-doubt. Even with this podcast, I doubted I could keep it going, doubted people would listen, and with teaching, I have doubted my abilities. Felt like a failure time and time again. But ever since my conversation with Robin Hood, I've started to reconsider how much weight I put on myself to feel confident and how heavy belief in self can be to carry. When really, it's not belief in ourselves that keeps us going when all else falls away, but the belief in what we're doing. A belief in what we're creating, whether that be a book or a better world. So whatever it is you're trying to create in your life, take a page out of Robin Hood's book and believe it into being. You've just listened to Rerouted Episode 7. Today we talked about Robin Hood, the man, the myth, the legend himself, and a few words of wisdom he gave me that I will likely carry with me for the rest of my life. Next time, I'll be bringing you one last episode on England. I just don't know what it's going to be about yet. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's show, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with a friend. You can also follow me on Instagram at Rerouted Travel, where you can reach out with any travel questions, episode suggestions, or feedback. Got a question about England? Leave me a comment on my Instagram page and I'll do my best to answer. Goodbye, my friend. Until next time, stay hungry 